0: Hey friends, what you're about to hear is a conversation with Aaron Orendorf. And you know, all of my guests are certainly special. That's why I picked them. I don't take anybody. I have a high bar for this podcast. And yet sometimes you come across these conversations that just flow, that just contain a ton of knowledge and that you get even more excited about than the other ones. And this is certainly one of them. Aaron is the current vice president of marketing at Common Thread Collective. But he's also a former sergeant and second lieutenant and pastor. So this guy has a rich history, and a lot of that will surface in this conversation you're about to hear. He was also the chief editor at Shopify Plus. He contributed to sites like Inc.com, Mashable, Entrepreneur, Business Insider, Lifehacker, you name it he was named the top 10 B2B content marketer by Forbes. So you don't wanna miss any of this. Like you you have to listen to the end. There's so much great stuff to discover. And once again, if you wanna get notified once those conversations come out, go to kevin-inning.com or Google for TechBound. Sign up for the TechBound newsletter. It's free, comes out once a week. We'll definitely notify you when another one of these killer conversations come out. Without further ado, though, I'm presenting to you, Aaron Orendorf. Three, two, one. Aaron, so good to have you on.
1: I am so excited to be here today. And I always come across as enthusiastic. And honestly, I'll, I'll dig into why I'm so excited. If you'd like, I'll say nice things about you. You've already said nice things about me. I'll let you be the determiner. Uh, of how far you want to go into my enthusiasm, my legitimate enthusiasm to be here today.
0: I want to get a little bit of a taste, because <laughs> I feel the same. It's mutual.
1: I have been a fanboy, a le- like legit fanboy of uh-huh. yours since back when the illustrious—I want to say his name's Will Will Wagner Wager Wagner from from Into It. He turned me on to you behind the scenes. I stalked you for like six months (laughs) before I got your attention on social media. And to now be in the seat with you in the booth is, this guy knows what he's talking about, people. I'm sure that's why you're here. He's gonna put me in a quasi hot seat, but I I love it. Like I'm looking forward to the exchange here. I'm anticipating learning just as much from you during this time than anyone else is gonna learn from me.
0: Like me, for example, because it's so mutual, Aaron. I'm such a uh fanboy myself you know i uh, when i first um when he first came, came on my radar on twitter and i checked everything out about him i was like who is this content machine like how does he how do you do that and i can't wait to to dive into all these things you've done along your way and my god are you a book to write it is absolutely incredible so that actually is a perfect transition because Uh, just looking at your resume, there are so many ways to take this. And you know, one thing that I wanted to start with is what you learned from being a US Army officer and a pastor about content marketing.
1: No one has ever opened with this question before. So kudos to you, this man does his research. It's no joke, across the board. I'll take the, the, the second question first. What did I learn from being a pastor about marketing, about content marketing? I was lucky enough, fortunate enough to fall in following uh, a select number of individuals that were really all about communicating to outsiders when I was in ministry. Now, I don't know any of these people. Chief among them is a guy named Tim Keller. He's a pastor out in NYC, 60-something, white dude, heart of Manhattan, conservative in like a theological sense, not politically. Uh, and yet this this Presbyterian church, Redeemer Presbyterian, has just, exploded grown over the last decade in like the one place you're not supposed to be able to grow uh, a church in the united like heart of manhattan and what he does man when he wrote his first book about five six seven years ago now i'm getting old he went on this speaking tour of uc berkeley georgetown northwestern all these ivy league institutions and it ended with a talk at google headquarters and they packed the room and the reason for all of that is, is because even though he's a Bible-ish thumper dude, he is so good at, at what he says. Is I have to be able to articulate your position better than you before I can disagree with it. So crawling inside his audience's mind, using their sources, their point of views, their worldview, quoting their statistics, uh, their experts first, and then saying, ah. I know you think that fulfills your desires, but this other path does it more truly uh, in line with the very thing you already want. And what that taught me so much was that communication is about sales and it's not about changing someone's desires. It's about identifying the things they want and the things they're afraid of. Uh, articulating that so there's empathy and understanding and then being able to channel that existing desire onto something new um and any old school marketing any old school copywriting eugene schwartz breakthrough advertising is gonna say he's gonna call that mass desire you have to take the desires that already exist in your audience and channel them you don't create anything wow it's super
0: powerful And i'm sure along you, along that journey you came into contact with many people and and i have a feeling that or at least the the things that i see in your content and in your work really reflect how good you are in breaking that um barrier to really understand people's pains and desires and translating that to content um to me that's that's like one of the the biggest traits of content marketing but you seem to have really dissect or you see, you're really good at, at, at how what made you so good at that?
1: It? It, it was this background in ministry, and and it's colored everything that I, I do since then. Even though Aaron from a decade ago would call Aaron today a heretic, like let's be clear about that for, for sure. We'll get into that if you want in the in the later like bonus episode. But it's this um, the way I think about it is uh, like the, the old formula: problem, agitation, solution. PAS. Right. Stop this right now. Go Google that. Problem agitation is, it's like the oldest, most thorough copywriting formula in the world. What's the problem stated in a single sentence or single paragraph in a way that only, its only goal is to make your reader, your audience, your viewer, not in agreement. They go, yep. Uh, Nighttime is scary. Yep. The dark's a scary place to be. I identify with that. That's it. That's the problem. Agitation then is, uh, okay, how do we amp that up? Right. Data. Did you know that 89 percent of deaths, uh, particularly homicides, occur between the hours of 7 p.m. and 7 a.m.? That's right. The dark is a scary place to be. And it's nothing compared to listening helplessly around a campfire as your loved ones cry for help resonate in your ears. And you can do nothing to save them because the dark is enfolding you so it's like what's the agitation to make like yeah the dark's really scary it's really really scary and what's the solution i want to sell you you know a flashlight or you know whatever the thing is like that sort of and what i did is i adapted that myself with the metaphor of um hell and heaven right to make it really visceral and emotional what's the hell someone's experiencing how do i unpack that from a a statistical standpoint an emotional standpoint a storytelling standpoint like to get underneath the problem and really bring its hellish realities into existence and then to try to say all right what is the heaven uh, that this landing page this email sequence this individual blog post this guide is going to deliver somebody onto and if i can't answer those questions and we do this in our templates at ctc uh what's what's the problem the hell the agitation and what's the solution The heaven it's going to deliver them unto, and that frames the entire piece of whatever it is we're working on.
0: What does your research process look like when you work through such a template?
1: Today, thanks to the five, six year track record I've had in e-commerce, especially my time at Shopify Plus, I've spent enough time in the trenches with small business owners, medium sized business owners, scaling, growing D2C brands that I'm able to pick up on like a few, you know, continuous themes of like like one of them is there's this initial point of or, uh, yeah, this is no trajectory of growth that at a a certain level, usually around the two to five million mark turns on itself. Acquisition costs suddenly stop being efficient. Uh, Tech stack becomes a burden. Uh, because you're just loading 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 someone's got to manage it someone's got to run it so there's these usual suspects that i've been able to identify and whenever i'm going into something new like especially at ctc when it's far more about the advertising side of things it's just about i gotta spend time with the people that are in the trenches buying the ads the growth guides here at ctc who are working with the clients and then mixing up as much as i possibly can with the real live individuals to listen for those. So that's really like the main, the research point, the human side of things is just spending time with the people that are doing the deal, the operators. And then the flip side of that is just, um, I'm going to research, I'm going to beat anybody at the data. And I'm going to look for like, what are the connections? What does the data mean? What are the, what's it not saying? What's a counterintuitive, uh, point that, that like, uh, like for instance, social commerce, right? Instagram, Facebook, everybody is building integrations for native social selling. And you go digging into the data, which a lot of people don't do, and you see like no customers want it yet. What do you do with that information? What does that mean? So you're trying to find that data um, or even doing original research. Like, all right, if shopping on Instagram is such a big deal, how many of the top 500 D2C brands, how many of their Instagram accounts are using it right now? Let's go do that ourselves and answer the question. So it's the statistical side, the data side, and then the human side.
0: Yeah, nothing beats good old research, right? Whether that's talking to people or that's, as you said, like doing your own kind of surveys uh, or own polls. And yeah, as a marketer and as a salesperson, as a business person, heck, as a person, you can never talk enough to people. There, There was never a time when I really regretted talking to another person, you know what I mean?
1: And it's like internally, you can do it really well, too. I mean, we're launching or just did launch uh, attention services for SMS and email, Google, Google Shopping, Google Ads for e-commerce. Uh, and it was countless what would feel like wasted hours and meetings with the two people that run that organization, uh, with the people that are in the trenches actually building the emails and running the Google Ads uh, and talking to a few of the merchants that either did or didn't buy the service, right? It's like it, it can feel like a lot of wasted, but you get that rhythm, that heart, like you, you it inundates you. Uh, and then you can pick out those, this is the, this is the pain point. Email marketing is a beast. The idea that you have to concept schedule, write, Design test the offer, send it, figure out what's the outcome of that data and then get up the next week and freaking do it all over again is how do we bring that into the first three seconds? of a Facebook ad and load it into the first three paragraphs of a landing page. Like that's the kind of thing that you just can't, you can't get there without that research. Big time.
0: And I do want to talk about CTC, um, in a moment before I, I quickly want to close out, um, the, the topic of Shopify, you obviously were, um, uh, editor in chief at Shopify plus, Plus. and one specific question that I have is what is the code and what is the impact it had on you?
1: My man. Tommy Walker wrote the code. He was the OG editor-in-chief at Conversion XL back when Conversion XL wasn't even really Conversion XL. Uh, Then he left and went over to Shopify Plus, and he was he was basically Shopify Plus marketing for a good six months to a year until they hired a director of marketing, Hannah uh, Abaza. And Tommy wrote the code. And the code is a, I want to say it's like a nine pages, not long, it's a lot of space, a lot of white space inside of it. But it's it's essentially his manifesto of what content, what marketing will look like at Shopify Plus. And it had things in it like we tell the truth. We don't have opinions, we look for data and then we triangulate that data so we're not dependent on one source. Uh, We don't paint idyllic pictures. we, we never bullshit our audience and that oh that one just stuck with me forever but it's like one thing per page and it the way he writes and just the way he communicates and to have that as the backbone of shopify plus uh and then it became like the backbone of my it just soaked into my brain and my heart uh he's, he released it for free if you have show notes We should definitely include it because I don't think he gave it away for like three or four years and now he's just actually put it out there.
0: Uh, It would definitely be in the show notes, uh, including all the other um, people and books and articles and and concepts you touch on. So uh, do you, are you thinking about writing
1: your own code or did that ever occur to you in your work? We have something similar at Common Thread Collective uh, and I'll tell you what it is and then I'll tell you why, you know, the challenge with something like this. It, for us, it's basically our, our, our marketing strategy doc. We've got like uh, beneath the larger mission of CTC to help entrepreneurs achieve their dreams, CTC marketing exists to drive growth. We do that by teaching the growth equation, right? And this is a very like, you go to our homepage, if you go to our about page, if you go to our case studies page, if you go to any of our industry reports, it's uh, visitors times conversion rate, times average order value or lifetime value, depending on how you define it, minus variable costs equals profit. That's it. That is that those are the only variables you've got to grow an e-commerce business or really any business, but especially an e-commerce business. So one, teach the e-commerce growth equation Two, uh, spread the stories of CTC clients and employees, and three apply the growth equation to specific verticals and businesses. So it's, it's covering our, our. I love the rule of three, to three three bases. So we've got like this north star kind of thing to it. We haven't fleshed it out any way as emotive as Tommy has done. And the reason I say this is a challenge, this is great. I'm so glad you brought this up. We had this large, uh, large-ish meeting with the marketing team this week, and uh, th- this person from the outside put it to my team, like, "What's what?" Why does CT... And I realized like, I was the only person that could answer. It, and I was like, all right, that's on me. I'm like the parent in the room. I have failed, like it's totally on me. So it's <laughs> one thing to have it, it's another thing to let it like infiltrate.
0: Yeah, it's tricky, right? Because it's so easy to overlook, but then your values and principles do really have a big impact on your work. I learned that the first time at Atlassian, I would say, where the values were so authentic and so deeply ingrained in the company's dna that people automatically lift them and, and brought them up all the time like does that really fit into our values one of them is literally don't F the customer like that's it's literally the quote-unquote value and every time that we launch a bigger campaign or a project or something we're we're literally asking ourselves in the room it you know are we having the customer right now or or are we not so it it, it, translates, it it translates into everything, right? Your strategies, your tactics, um, and even your, your culture inside.
1: And it's a great litmus test too to come back to. I mean, I really should give it that more emotive ethos one. The thing of like, don't BS your, your customer, don't be us your reader. Um, like it's, it's easy to let something like that just be on a wall. But if that's what you get called back to over and over again, like this is an easy answer. It can't be that easy. This is BS, right? Push yourself and, and the people who are under you uh, to hold account to it.
0: Totally, totally. And it's not, you know, it's 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 easy when a company grows up with these values. It's very difficult to define them, shape them, and then remind everybody constantly to to live them. It takes a lot of time, you know. Um, at G two, we're also big on our values and our principles, um, but I think only a year or two ago have we really defined them clearly, really put a lot of effort into thinking about that, what those would be. And also what feels authentic, right? Like everybody wants to be, uh, I think there's some like buzzwordy type of values, right? Some sexy values, but then there are also the true authentic values. And that's, that takes a lot of work to shape out.
1: One that I really, I do dig. Uh, and one of the things that common thread does really well is internally, at least is we've got six core values um clear as kind tell fascinating truth start palms down count on me there's these and what we do it every friday i just got out of this meeting about an hour ago is then we nominate individuals within the company based on those core values and then one person tells a story about how somebody else like lived into that value during the week and then it sort of is open up for like any other hot takes uh, where people have to call you know each other and that's been a huge like that didn't happen I would say three, four months ago. And when our head of differentiation, our, our head of uh, HR, put that into practice, so that it was like in your face every week, you had to go to the type form, you got to nominate people within the category, you got to think in these six core values in these terms and then communicate them, it, it just works itself in. Yeah, powerful, powerful.
0: Um, and um, I, I did promise to come back to CTC, Um, I do actually want to shuffle one more question in between because it fits so well into the topic of Shopify. And so I read a growth hackers AMA with you in which you mentioned uh, ground zero keywords uh, that you used at Shopify. I was just curious, you know, like, how do you think about
1: that? What does that mean? Ground zero keywords are, it's all about priority and triaging. You know, the way the human mind works is I get basically three, maybe five things to actually care about. That's like, it's the old joke of like, you want to have a good career, a happy family or your health. All right. Now pick two. (laughs) And so the ground zero keyword is an application of that too. These are the 10 keywords that if the house is on fire, if the Google penalty descends, if we have, you know, if if the budget comes up short and and we got no more money to invest except in uh, you know this link building strategy for these, what are the 10? Keywords that are bucketed in isolation that you got to save when the house is on fire. you got to bring them out. And everything we, we do then revolves around that, interlinking, redirecting, the link building budget, the free link building that goes on. Um, and those might change, but you only get 10 at a time. Got it. Yeah.
0: Very useful to stay focused. That's one of the biggest challenges I also see at big companies, and Shopify certainly is one. Um, is it easy to lose? It's very easy to just chase the next sexy small thing, but but actually lose focus and then do nothing really. So, we talked about CTC a couple of times. Your VP of marketing uh, at Common Thread Collective, and one thing that you that you and I discussed before we started the podcast is this transition from a creator to a VP of marketing. What did you discover and
1: learn along the way? It's been a transition because I built my career on being the person like the guest posting or the presenting. And that's great when you're an individual contributor, and it can rise you to, you know, to a certain level of leadership. But one of the things Taylor holidays, the managing partner of CTC, one of the founders CEO, he's my boss, uh, pushes me on constantly is, is this a thing only Aaron Orndorff can do best? So I was wandering into some email editing and writing recently with, with and for very good reason. And I'll, I'll talk about that next for very good reason, uh, high payoff, high yield in this one particular category of isolated. And I, I'm presenting this and I'm all excited. I got the metrics to prove it. If we lift this number, it does this number. Here's how it affects the bottom line. And he basically backed me with like, Okay. So the worst way someone could phrase this is you've now taken responsibility for someone who isn't a direct report to you and you're in there doing their individual contributor work with them. I'm like, yeah, (laughs) that probably is the worst way someone could put it. (laughs) And he's like, are you the best email writer at CTC? I said, no. He's like, are you the best that exists? I'm like, no. He's like, all right. And that's enough he had to say. So I had to get myself out of that. Be like, okay, I'm constantly going back to this, like, uh, getting out of it and, and above it and then finding the right people and holding them accountable and giving them the right tools to for, for them to succeed. Uh, but the other piece is I have absolutely fallen in love with the power of funnel-based data. And it's not necessarily complicated. Like a lot of stuff we've built over the last eight months didn't exist before. We run through ConvertKit and HubSpot. So it's not like we've got uh i mean hubspot's great but we just use the sales side of things not the marketing side of things but just the the simple things of, of forcing yourself to ask the questions about um at what point in the funnel can we most radically affect real revenue growth and you can only answer that question if you understand the conversion rates across the funnel from somebody coming in from various channels to what what is the the email, the schedule and appointment, the contract process. Uh, and if you've got that bucketed across something like a pipeline to begin understanding at the front end of that funnel, uh, like for instance, we ran all these numbers and what we discovered is that like the value of an SQL, right. It is around like, let's say $900 that's roughly given the total value that we've closed, right? They're worth $900 to us. The second somebody becomes a sales accepted lead, right? They schedule an appointment and they enter the funnel. The close rate for them jumps. The value of them is three to four times the amount. Uh, and, and that's like a no-brainer, but you have to be able to see the data to actually get to that. Like, this is the value of an SQL, this is the value of a sales accepted lease, an SAL. And as soon as you're able to see that, it's like, I don't need another like block, I don't need more traffic at the top of the funnel. What I freaking need is a way to accelerate getting people to schedule appointments with us and show up. And it's that's marketing's job, right? That sets up the salespeople. Like, if we can own that process, we all look better. Um, but it's identifying those by really understanding the data that's driving your funnel that has just lit me on fire.
0: That to me is, as you said, the key to marketing and growth in a way, growth has gotten a lot of hate over the last couple of years because people think it's always growth hacking and they've got a negative connotation. But to me, and I think to some other people in the space, it always meant to really dissect your whole kind of user journey into small little steps. And then, as you said, give a number to each step and see where the drop-off is, you know, where do you lose people and then make that as efficient as possible. And as marketers, and I've been guilty of that in the past, we tend to just pour more into the top of the funnel. But if you lose people along the way, that's just not going to be as effective. So I love how you explain that and how you go about that. And the technical question that, that, that I'm curious about is what tools do you specifically use to measure these numbers?
1: We use HubSpot as our CRM. So anytime somebody opts into the site, they're opting in through ConvertKit through a form, a pop-up, a modal. The first part of their user journey is mediated then by ConvertKit, which then has a bunch of automations. Zapier kicks it over to HubSpot, and then the actual sales process is the sales process is managed inside of. HubSpot. But we take responsibility for the quality of the leads that are coming in the SQLs, as well as those sales accepted leads, the people that schedule an appointment and enter the funnel. So it's all bucketed by here's inbound. Here's people who have scheduled an appointment. And I'm, I'm doing my hand gestures. Columns inside HubSpot. That's what I'm talking about. Columns inside <laughs> HubSpot. Uh, 20, 40, 60, 80 percent. Close one, close loss. Right. That's like the, the stages of the journey. And so we affect the front and the back end of that. We have found somebody on Upwork to build us a Uh, script inside Google sheets that pulls in that information. Whenever I click the API button inside my marketing metrics, like if anything, if anything ever lights on fire and that gets burned down, now I'm done. Like it's just, it's this one sheet that everything lives in, but we just built a, so I can run that uh, and it parses it by the date that they entered. So everybody's in these week over week buckets, these columns, uh, and then what stage of the journey that they're in. So this is giant sheet with all of say 2020 in it and it's going to turn into 2021 next year uh there's one tab with all of that in it and then the front end we just built formulas based on the dates to look up always seven day rolling the the last 28 days four weeks the previous 28 days before that next to that there are two columns that show the 91 days 91 days before that And then year over year for 28 and 91 as well. So it's like monthly, quarterly, year over year, monthly, quarterly. And then we've got just basically, um, here's the total number of inbound leads. This is everybody who is a good SQL, a sales accepted lead, meaning they've scheduled an appointment or they've entered their funnel. These are people that were closed, lost, and they're either good or bad. And the salespeople determine that with a single dropdown that also gets pulled into that same sheet. So I can just run it and it just, like on this one tab and then the formulas we built on the front end which i'm not i'm not genius i use this uh i use some spreadsheet google sheet live chat thing we subscribe to and i just go in there and I just tell the person what i want to create they figure it out and we reproduce it Uh, so it's not really all that like like sophisticated it's hubspot a script and google sheets but when you know like i want to know uh these specific time buckets so I can compare them. And then I wanna know the conversion rate at the front of the funnel into the pipeline and then close one or close loss by good or bad SQL. And all of a sudden I can see like, those are the conversion rates. It's simple math. If I move this number, everything below that number bumps up. And that's where the money's to be made. Yeah,
0: that's super powerful. Um, And I have um, a dashboard to monitor operations of my teams and I do it in the same way. It's almost like a funnel structure. What are the input thing or input metrics? What are the output metrics? And how does that, once you have it, as you said, like it's a simple spreadsheet and once you have it in front of you, everything just becomes so crystal clear.
1: Yeah. And if you know the total dollar value of closed one uh, or, you know, units sold in e-commerce or subscriptions for SaaS, like whatever the, whatever the dollar value is. Right, It's like, here's the total dollar value for this specific period of time divided by number of leads, number of marketing qualified leads, number of sales qualified leads, number of sales accepted. And you can just see like, what's the value of a lead? What are our, not so much customer acquisition costs, but what's the value if everything holds true moving forward? And this kind of thing like, it's like a simple math, right? It's like not complicated, but to have access to that is game changing. And a lot of people don't. So many people don't.
0: Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden you have this magic wand in your hand that you can then, you know, all of a sudden you can make things happen because you can show the value of your actions. So while we're talking, you know, I was so curious about, you have so many high profile customers at CTC. If you were to lay all of these user journeys or funnels on top of each other, where do you think the biggest drop off happens commonly?
1: I laughed because I thought you were gonna ask about the wins. And this is the other thing about when you actually get into the data and start looking at individual, it's just like insane how people make buying decisions. I can't like we'll close a creative package for 15K and you go back and look at the actual individual that did it. And it was like, OK, they started listening to Andrew Ferris's podcast. He's the president of four x four hundred. CTC is the majority owner of four x four hundred. That's our D 2 C brand holding company. All right, so he starts on Andrew's podcast. He subscribes for a content upgrade. He uh, then cancels, uh, like the, whoever this person is. Uh, it, and then uh, they fill out a high-risk form a month later, then they show, like, it's just the most insane to try to actually figure out why real human beings do the things they do. It's just, it's fascinating for one, and it's in some ways frustrating. But yeah, uh, you, you're asking like where, where what, what's the, the starting point, like how this happens, like what's the best kicker offer?
0: Right. I'm basically trying to get to, you know, where are most DTC companies failing?
1: Where, like, where are we failing to capture them to give us their business?
0: Or better said, why do they become clients? You know, like, what is the, what yeah. do you need help with?
1: I'll give you our failure. Our failure right now is we're starting to lock down and accelerate that front of the funnel to get people to schedule an appointment. Uh, and the number that haunts my dreams is the Closed, lost, bad SQL, no response. Somebody who filled out a hire us form said they were interested. Maybe it was a content upgrade, but they told us I'm hiring for paid media. When one of the options was nothing, I just want the content, right? They told us they were interested. And we've got other options for the dropdown of bad SQL spam, bad SQL computer, uh, competing agency, right? So it, it, But it's the, the no responders. That is the biggest bucket of closed, lost, bad girls. People that they get the initial flow, they don't respond, they go into that column and then, at right now, this is gonna change, this is gonna change. <laughs> you, right now, nothing happens. Um, and my eyes were open to that because I recently, uh, I've been going through these link building agencies and the last one I hired, uh, 10K for one month of work, Right. Not a small price tag, not a giant price tag, but also, right. I gave this person $10,000. And the main reason was, is they passed the BS test and they were the most recent friendly email in my inbox. (laughs) They just stayed current. And after I like sent them the money, I realized like that is a wild reason (laughs) that I chose them. They just emailed this guy, this company, just friendly, personal from a human. How's it going? And when it came time, he had no idea why I wasn't responding. He had no idea. I was trying to navigate out of these other two relationships and the third one. And then the second I got out of those and I was ready to do the next one, I looked at my inbox. I was like, oh, all right, I'll write back. Yeah, let's schedule something. And he got my money.
0: (laughs) Yep. It it makes perfect sense in a way Um, because humans are very illogical with their purchases you know it's funny because we think of ourselves as these highly developed beings that are putting so much rational thought and only make rational decisions and that is complete bs in my mind i'm reading this book right now called alchemy by rory sutherland i think he's been a like a high animal at uh, Ogilvy and matters for a long time and the idea of alchemy is exactly that is you know people make illogical decisions but a lot of Models try to squeeze people into this logical behavior, which which just does not happen in lots of cases, right? So, you know, address seeing that in the data, that's that's one I think important realization. But then it comes back so smoothly to your um to your model of, of PAS, a problem agitation solution, right? Because it's a very emotional model, right? You you you're appealing to people's emotions, part to rationality too, but um. I think I think that's where we close the loop again on these on the
1: creative. Oh. And emotions are driven by timing. You know, my circumstances change, my emotions respond to them, and therefore so do my behaviors. And the way you can engineer that is: okay, let's take a, let's take a stab at we're gonna write five different short form, two paragraph, three paragraph, four paragraph. We're going to schedule them out at like weird 23 days, then send another one at 37 days, then send another one at 63 days, right? We're going to try to engineer something that feels like just staying friendly, right? It's got to be able to scale, set it and in some ways forget it. But I've seen that as well in some of the recent clients that we've won. When I go back and I look at the deal structure uh, or, or the deal, the history of it, like one of them we just got, which is a Phenomenal brand, uh, Kinu Forex, and it really just came down to one of our VPs out in New York just stayed current with them. They came in; it wasn't the right time six, seven months ago. It was a cold outreach, and this dude just stayed in the world, invited him to a webinar that was coming, um, followed up with like a new guide that came out like on his own. And when it, when when they were ready, they were ready, and he was there, and we were there.
0: Yeah, sometimes it's like that. Buyer journeys are so non-linear there's just so th- that's one of the biggest learnings for me is that the the model of a funnel helps to think about things in a certain way but whenever i looked at user journeys whether that was at you know a, a company or business model like DailyMotion or it was like atlassian or here now at g2 it's just never it just never follows this simple idea of oh they come to one of our category pages then they compare some software and then they're buying it not at all it's exactly as you said it's this kind of completely distorted journey where sometimes you have six months of silence in between and then they come back and buy right away and you're like how should i you know how should i attribute that Yeah.
1: yeah and, and it's just, to, but then to be able to pick up on that, it's like, and see it in yourself, right? Like I love the whole thing of, okay, I want to examine the way I make decisions as well, because there are principles about that timing. The, the friendliest, most recent, most human wins. You can engineer that type of advantage. You really can You absolutely can.
0: And it often starts with incepting the idea into people's brains. I observed that with myself where I see something, I read some article or something pulls me in. And then I I just, I put, I push it away and I focus on something else, but it it kind of, it, 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 simmers in my mind, right? And then weeks later, I do a bit of more research and then eventually I purchase or eventually I buy. But that first touch, that first exposure to a product or to an idea or even to a problem that I didn't know I have is so powerful and it's so hard to attribute to content. But it's that's why some of the content is, or content marketing in general is such a powerful tool but horrible to attribute.
1: And it gets worse as like we're now, I mentioned Andrew's podcast. Right, so we're running a podcast and Taylor's dropping YouTube videos left and right. And we haven't done really any actual optimization work in either one of those. I'm super excited, Q4 into 2021 to start actually like, what could we do if we really invested in this? Uh, which isn't to say like the content is great. And that, that's part of it too, right? It's just, there's all these outputs uh, and both those guys and other people are really active on social media. And it just creates this, like you're, you're encircled by the mafia That is ctc content and it creates a much larger impression than what's really going on uh, with those multiple channel multi-channel touch points that's a real key of it too it's email it's on youtube it's on social media it's on site there's all these those kind of things that make you feel like you've known the institution you've known the person more because you've seen them in different settings and different clothes uh, versus just the one elongated. I read this whole thing and then I signed up. Kind oh of. yeah.
0: Yeah. That, that That's where I wholeheartedly agree with your point of staying current, right? Because the desire changes over time, but if you are constantly present, if people see you everywhere, so to say, um, they will eventually, um, you have a higher chance of, of being
1: part of the final set of products. That's right higher way higher chance that's the thing of higher chance for sure yep.
0: hey you mentioned um the situation where you basically wrote an email for one of the direct reports and had this conversation um and the the question was do you focus on what Aaron is best at in the world so here at g2 i was exposed to this idea of conscious leadership and one of the core concepts of conscious leadership is this thing that they call the zone of genius, which is something that does not feel like work to you, that, that you you know really thrive in, that when you do it, you are in flow. It's basically what you are, one of the absolutely best in the world at. And I wanna ask you, what do you think
1: is your zone of genius? I'd like to think it's beginning to be understanding the data and then knowing what to do with it massive unlock for me. That feels one of those things, the prideful Aaron is like, I'll do something like that. I'm like, nope, you have no, have no idea. I'll tell my wife how few people can do what I did today. Like, I just communicating to how full of myself I am. Um, so that's one of them. But the, the flow state that, yeah, the genius uh, zone, man, I can take a piece of written content, That is a six, seven, or eight, and turn that into a ten that will crap traffic and leads into a funnel. I to be prideful, yeah, for for a second. I I, it's a real struggle to start from zero these days. I had to do it recently and I hated it. It was it was a chore to actually create something from scratch. But boy, I, I think that's one of those things that like I'm. Yeah, that's my, my genius level. I just get it. I'm like, I know how this should flow together. I know how the structure should be. Um, I know how the length should measure each other and when the images should go going and how to make this call to action, like we should use a caption here on top of the data and have the data be inside the upgrade, because people just love clicking captions and images. Like there's these things that all sort of come together, like, and that that's where then time.
0: I have about 15 or 30 pieces of evidence on my list here about you that prove that you are certainly one of the best in the world, um, at this. And I'm curious, can you point the finger at exactly what it is that you're doing there or your thought process, or is it something that you subconsciously developed over time and is more some sort of gut feeling right now?
1: It's both. There is just something about time in the furnace. When I was at seminary, we would do these I had to take a homiletics class in fact fact a few of them fancy word for preaching. and so all of us young seminarians would show up with these fifteen minute sermons that we had slaved over for three, four weeks a month, right? We get in there, we deliver it. And these, uh, these professors who a lot of them were, uh, full-time pastors or they had been, they'd just been in the trenches. They'd listen to this thing you slaved over. It would take them three minutes or like six, like they would, I, they would diagnose it as it was going on. And they'd come back and go like, you know, it really should have been three points around these three questions, and that would have led you from the what to the how to the why, and the why has to be about the emotional change that takes place. And you didn't get me to that emotional chip, like they would just deconstruct this and we would all walk away in tears and gnashing of teeth. Like how did they do that immediately? They knew what was wrong with it, how to do it a thousand times better. And I'm starting to feel like, you know, I feel like that with, with these pieces now where it's that mix of, uh, I am beholden to driving traffic to this thing, whether through paid or through organic, and I am beholden to making it convert, whether through a content upgrade or a direct call to action. So those things, I'm beholden to those scientific elements of us, there's a lot of work that goes into on that side of things. And then I'm able to walk between those two worlds. And this is that, that cultivated of, but is it easy to read? Does it really unpack in the first paragraph uh, the, or the introduction the fundamental challenge that someone will just nod and go, Yeah, that sucks. Really, you can help me with that? Okay, you can help me with this one piece of it. That was really honest. You can't solve the whole thing. All right, if you can help me with this one piece of it, cool, I'll invest. Um, it's those two companies. And then back to like, Man, we got to get more keywords in the H's. Right back into that. And then it, 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 that walking between those two.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because it relates to a question I wanted to ask about the sticking point of a piece. You mentioned that, um, you know, when you write content, you, you look for the sticking point and I'm curious if you could explain what it is and how you identify it.
1: I think the sticking point is a lot like the turn from problem agitation solution. Um, And it really comes down to identifying that core complaint problem, amplifying it, and then selecting the that that honesty thing of like, here's the one element of it that that we can change cost, customer acquisition costs, cost per acquisition CPA on Facebook, Um, these things are all rising. And the more you spend, the lower your efficiency gets, that is true. Now, what I can tell you is I can help you understand why that's true. There's a bell curve of customer adoption. And when you start with the early adopters, the innovators, product market fit is 100%. right? Your mom is going to buy from you because she loves you. She's free to acquire. And a lot of your early customers are like that. And then you have to move into these you know, late adopters, late majority, uh, and you're moving further and further away, uh, physical proximity being even one of the things it's going to cost you more to go further and reach these. So of course the cost to acquire these customers go up, but what you don't understand is that the creative you choose is just as important as anticipating those rising costs and building them into your budgets, because there are certain types of creative, That will drive these different customer segments at these different times and especially like you can't use the stuff that worked really really well for your innovators and your early adopters for the late majority because they don't want to be innovative they want it to be proven they want to see how it can change their life because it's changed the lives of a lot of other people the same thing is true is if you try to take that approach of social proof and reviews uh, and give it to early adopters they don't want it because they want to be early, they want to be first. And that's the kind of thing of like, okay, that's the bigger, that's like an example of a sticking point. Costs are going up. I can help you understand why and head them off. They're still going to go up, but it can be better. Wow,
0: yeah, I I would love to dig further into that, uh, but I also want to be respectful of your time, so maybe maybe a round two would be amazing. Um, But I don't want to leave you without asking a very quick round of rapid fire questions. It's going to be three quick questions. Uh, and then I'm going to, uh, let you go. The first one is what is something really weird about
1: you? That Aaron, uh, 10 years ago, <laughs> would call Aaron today a heretic. Fair. I, yeah, I, at the risk of being melodramatic, I am a Christ haunted, unorthodox heretic. That's pretty weird and a bit grandiose, but that's how I am trying myself.
0: Yeah. Can you elaborate a bit on that and what that means?
1: You want me to? I thought this was rapid no, fire. No, like we'll
0: make it quick. We'll make it quick.
1: Uh, man, this, all right. This is going to get deep. This is going to be weird for a second. You made it. If weird. you're okay with it, I'd uh, love to. The narrative of the gospel, this idea, of the holy omnipotent God who has existed as three people in one relational to the core from the beginning of time created everything and is perfectly just has entered the world as a human being to suffer in the place of these human beings. Uh, And then by experiencing death and the consequences of sin triumphed over it by resurrecting himself as an outpost of the recreation of all things the future recreation of all things drawn into the present on Easter morning as an outpost. Um, now, I'm not an exclusivist. I'm not very religious anymore, but that narrative, man, I, I just can't find a better. If that's true, good night. That's that's some stuff. If that's what's at the bottom of the world, I'm still trying to figure out if I want to live according to it, all those kind of, but. Woo, wow.
0: Yeah, that is certainly something. Uh, thanks for, for elaborating on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, what have you, what is something you have changed your mind about in the recent years?
1: One of the things common thread does is a program called tell me your dreams. And you get a dream guide. Who's a, uh, an actual uh, psychiatrist licensed, everything like that. And they lead you into this whole process of you have to then like after three, six months being at the company, you have to declare a dream. And I thought for sure I was going to go along the routes of like career wise. Um, But I, I changed my mind about my dream is for my wife and my family, particularly my wife, because my kids are still pretty young, so they can't articulate things well. But for my wife to know in her bones that my priorities go uh, recovery, spirituality, her and the kids, everything else below. Um, And that's been a massive shift that I've been going through recently and a real challenge to separate myself from the identification of I am what I achieve professionally.
0: Oh, you're talking to the right person, but you have my deepest respect. That is, that is quite something. Um, and the last question I want to ask you is how has failure set you up for success?
1: My old hashtag, I got to resurrect it to use a, a keyword. Let's get rejected. The impetus of my career and anyone I've ever had has been from knowing that fear is the thing that will hold me back and slow me down. So let's get rejected was this little internal mantra. I told myself when I started trying to write for publications, I had no business writing for compose this entire article, finger over, you know, the the mouse pad to hit send. And I would tell myself, well, let's get rejected, click. And that just, it, it inverted the whole, like it made, it made it okay to fail. And then to learn from those failures, if I, if the goal is to get rejected, then I get rejected and I go awesome. Uh, which is partly why it still hurts, it like stings, but to then, right. There's no virtue in failure itself. It's only the, the bravery to then pull apart and look at my side of the street. Where, what did I do in that and divide other people? to really know you professionally, personally, who can also speak into that and say uncomfortable things. That's where the magic happens.
0: It totally does. I love that. I love that so much. Aaron, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing all this wisdom that I can't wait to get this one live because that's like 50 minutes of just pure gold. And I would love to invite you for a second round because I'm i am I'm not done with you, Aaron. I'm gonna be honest, I'm not done with you. <laughs>
1: I love it. This was great. We didn't even need to talk about what's going on with e-commerce trends oh went God. and how you're going to help me.
0: Seriously, there's so much to unpack there. So number two is on the horizon. The sequel is coming. Um, Aaron, where can people find you?
1: Aaron Orndorff on Twitter, my full name. Probably the most I'm active on is there. Follow along. Uh, if you want to sign up for the CTC email list, that's where you'll see the freshest content. I've had my fingerprints on uh, commonthreadco.com. That is it.
0: Thank you so much again. It was a pleasure.
1: Absolutely.